Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Alex Evans, one of the technical editors here at Bike Radar. Joining me today for this tech Q&A episode are Bike Radar, uh, Bake, Bake Radar. That's a new thing that we're going to be doing. Keep tuned for, for Bake Radar's uh, new, newest edition. No, I'm joking. It's Bike Radar, MBK and Cycling Plus's most knowledgeable and long-standing, and I check this, long-standing testers, Rob Weaver and Warren Rossiter. So welcome today, guys. How are you, Rob? And what have you been up to recently? Hi, Al. I guess what you've just said is that you've called Warren and I the oldest people that you work with, essentially, right? I, I did precursor just... it with most knowledgeable. So I <laughs> yeah. think I got away with it. Long-standing slash oldest, greyest. <laughs> um, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Um, what have I been up to? Uh, just finishing Bike of the Year. That's, um, as you know, is a mammoth uh, task. So I'm kind of really pleased to see the back of it, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. So this actually goes out um, after Bike of the Year, I believe, goes on sale. Yeah, so MBK goes out on the 12th. So assuming this is after that, everyone can read all about it and see all the pictures. And 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 read the the winner as well, the, the most important winner. Ah, yes. Ah, cool. Okay. And what about you, Warren? What what, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, much much the same. Um, bike of the year, but on the the road, road and gravel side of things. Um, that's all wrapped up. Again, you should be able to read all about that in Cycling Plus about now. Um, and I took a sort of breather for about half an hour, and now I've just jumped straight into a big um, e-bike test project. I'm doing about a dozen of the latest kind of urban 
urban and community e-bikes for, for all persuasions, which um, is a nice change of pace and uh, I'm actually quite enjoying it. Literally, an absolutely flat out pace up Park Street whilst you're swigging a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, reading your, reading your newspaper and texting. Exactly, all, all yeah. Beautiful yeah. assistance. Yeah, and even uh, and on the back of that, you know, even using them at the weekends, I've got one particular bike in, which is uh, which comes with a dog box on the back. So I've been transporting my Jack Russell all over Wiltshire to find a new place to walk, <laughs> which is uh, hilarious. Is is that an optional extra, or is that just it, included it, in? It's literally it's literally an optional extra. And as soon as I found out they had it, I said, "Yeah, I quite fancy trying that." And um, yeah, the dog loves it. Nice. Which, um, it's definitely it's a case awesome. of, of need rather than want, isn't it? I need that dog box. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. It means you know, it means I can I can leave the car at home when I take the, you know when I take the dog for a walk further afield instead of just ride there. So um, probably quieter than that shopping trolley you were dragging around with him in the back as well. Isn't it? So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, or just literally, yeah, or just tying him to the bike and uh, heading out. Keep up. Oh god! <laughs> poor, poor little Jack Russell legs just going at eight thousand miles an hour. <laughs> He's joking. RSPCA is joking. joking. I am joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also Tesco's, don't, please, Warren has not been stealing shopping trolleys. So, you know, please don't, don't go around his house. He's okay. He's Tesco's? What do you mean Tesco's? Waitrose. Oh, sorry, Waitrose. <laughs> sorry, Waitrose. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for, for irregular listeners, uh, Tom Marvin usually usually hosts this, but he's he's gone out on sabbatical. So uh, it's not a surprise that people are used to, used to Waitrose, Marks and Spencer's and all other middle-class references where I'm more of a Tesco, Tesco Lidl and uh, Aldi kind of guy. So sorry about that. Lowering the tone. Do apologise. middle old special, isn't it? That's yeah. what we're about, Al. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I've just checked, so I'm, I'm glad we didn't give any spoilers away, but th- this is actually going out on the 9th of May. So uh, no <gasps> yeah. Bike of the Year spoilers. Um, so, yeah, please k- keep tuned to all of our, all of our channels two of those being magazines, the old-fashioned uh, old channels, um, to find out who our Bike of the Year winners are. Anyway, let's get cracking. So this is one of our tech Q&A podcasts um, where we ask you guys to send us in your burning technical queries via social media for our experts, and there's two of them here today, not three, and that's definitely Warren and Rob to answer. So I don't know, maybe doing myself a bit of a bit of an injustice, but it's kind of true. You can help, Barry. You can help. You know what you're talking about. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> cool. So, question number one, and I, I've included uh, everyone's usernames here just just to make sure that we can pronounce them incorrectly. Um, I have been practicing. So this is question number one from E Bigarella. Um, I don't know if that's something to do with e-bikes or if, if their name's e-bigger or e-big. I'm, I'm not sure. I apologize for whichever one it may or may not be. Um, they want to know, and this is quite a niche question, I will say, when I read it, how they can get a 16-tooth sprocket on an 11-speed Shimano 11-30 to tooth cassette. I think this one is quite specifically for Warren, who's kind of rubbing his hands together in anticipation for answering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll I'll take this one. Um, I guess you need to talk about what you know why E Bigarella is is obsessing over a sixteen tooth sprocket. I would say for riders of of my age, the sixteen tooth is like a it's a mythical beast. It's a it's the sort of sweet spot of a gear to spin at speed without over pushing things or you know comically spinning your feet at a stupid high cadence. Well, you know at least it was when bike gearing was all about the the fifty three thirty nine chainset 
for serious riders and 10 speed cassettes which you know usually approached the straight through run of gears and you know that's also the era where 23 millimeter tires were the norm if you fitted 25 she'd be asked if you were taking it easy or headed to belgium for some cobbles and if you fitted 28 she'd be called a tourist um and for all your hipsters <laughs> out there you know a, a tourist is a bike packer but just has more practical luggage um so 5316 with a 23 mile tire that gives you like an 87 inch gear um a gear inch is that's how far you'll travel when you spin you know one revolution of the pedals um with a 25 mil tire it's actually closer to 88 so modern gear setups with a 28 mil tire and a 5034 chain set 1130 set the closest you get is the 5015 which is just under like 89 if you're using SRAM, it's a bit different with axis gearing. That sort of rearranges everything. The closest axis gets is like 86 with a 48.15. Again, with a 28mm tyre. So that 16.2 sweet spot has sort of been overlooked. But there are ways of getting that gear. And, um, and that's actually to seek out an Italian cassette that's Shimano compatible. So it's uh, Mika, um, as my Italian partner tells me it's pronounced, or Miche, as most of us ignorant on Italian English speakers say. Well, they offer a huge range of, of Shimano-compatible 11-speaker sets, and they're all made up of individual cogs. And back in the 80s and 90s, I remember the cooler shops, they had a, a Mika cassette board in the shop where you could pick and pluck your sprockets and actually make your own cassettes. You know, I have a bike back home, which has a quite ridiculous modern gearing stand is uh, Mika cassette that runs from 11 to 20 on a 10 speed and you know that's quite unusable um, <laughs> and anyhow you know Mika offered their standard Primato cassettes in a 12 25 12 27 28 and 29 and every one of those features a 16 tooth so my advice would be you can't actually sort of make and break a Shimano cassette to get that 16 tooth in there but Mika cassettes are really well made and they do offer quite a broad range of them too so do you think there's anything that um, potential consumers do who, who want to want to do a similar thing by swapping up um, chainring chain ring sizes and, you know, trying to balance out not being able to get a 16-2 on the back? Yeah, I mean, you, you could, you, you, you know, you could experiment with, with you know, different chainring sizes to, to try and get that. It's just worth, you know, there are plenty of online sort of gearage calculators just going on there and, you know, working out what that gearage is that you really like and then, you know, setting up the tables and charts and trying to find where you can where you can get that that um that sweet spot you're looking for okay or even maybe put some 36 mil tires on it or something just to just to go crazy <laughs> and massive sidewalls just to really really boost your boost your rolling you actually be rolling on 31 exactly. inch 31 inch wheels <laughs> blow me that's that i mean that you've blown my mind the question number one here i was listening to that and the cogs were excuse the pun whirring inside Ooh. my head um <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, blow me. Yeah, so Mika, Mika is the place that that people want to be looking at for that elusive sixteen tooth sprocket. Blow me. Thank you, Warren. Um, so next up, and this time we're going to flip to uh, fat tires with uh, hopefully Rob. Rob might be able to field this question. I, I think so. Maybe. I think he's pretty well versed. Um, this one is from a user called Dee's Willies. Um, which is <laughs> D-E-Z Willies. Um, we'll just say it a few more times. Um, so uh, he, this person, I'm not sure whether they're male or female, but they want to know what the performance benefits are of firmer tyre compounds. Now, I saw a few of your notes on this, Rob, and um, it's actually quite an interesting topic. And it, wasn't it quite more specifically um, kind of to do a cross-country? Um, and Yeah, 
Yeah, well, go on. You, I, you, you go. Right? I was going to. I was going to say. I think the original question was: Is there a market? I think is there a market for a lighter weight tire with a firmer compound? Okay. Um, quite, oh, sorry. Quite was it, no, a lighter weight tire with a tackier compound. That was That's it, right. wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> quite, quite, um, quite a niche actually. I think. I think you could say that that market. Yeah, to a degree, I think. Um, because I think if you were to go down the route, of, you know, if you were thinking, okay, lightweight carcasses, do cross-country riders really want a compound that's going to be as tacky as someone who, say, maybe that does enjoy riding or downhill? Would they want that? Probably not because of the rolling resistance penalties. Mm. But... Um, Arguably, we're in a better place with the advent of, um, you know, these beefed up cross-country bikes, which we all um, know as down-country bikes. So there is that sort of middle ground with those where you do get that slightly lighter carcass than you would, say, on a trail bike or an enduro bike. And it has a slightly um, tackier compound than a flat-out fast XC tyre. So you do get a bit more grip. I think, as you said, it is quite niche. Um, and whether we're going to see something totally new come into market specifically for that, I think we're pretty well catered for as it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with the likes of the new uh, Michelin Wild XC or the Schwalbe Wicked Will, for example, mm. they're two tyres that offer a bit more traction. They still roll really fast you have a lighter casing than you would on a, you know, an enduro style tire. So you do, you know, reap some of those benefits. Um, I don't know. Does that answer the question? It's, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those ones. It, it's like they're, 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 they sort of exist. There's, they sort of exist equally. As we said at the start, I can't see anyone coming up with an XC casing and, you know, uh, uh, a 3C max grip compound as Maxis we use because it feels like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, you know, really light, but it rolls ridiculously slowly. So I I don't know. I I can't see it personally. There there could maybe be an offshoot of of down country called double down country. um, Where, where, you know, they've got like slightly tackier compound tires and that's the next upgrade. So you heard it here first, double down country, we're coming. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I was speaking to my friend actually at the weekend who's who I grew up riding with and he he sort of switched the road. He lives in central London. He switched the road and um, he's doing, you know, some gravel riding, but he actually has a mountain bike, his first mountain bike in years turning up this week. And it came with some crazy 2.6 tyres, which is just like, well, what's the point? Um, I want to get some new ones. And he's um, he knows his stuff. He's really meticulous when it comes to um, picking his components and spending his money. And obviously, he's seen how much tyres cost now. So he's like, oh, my God, what do I buy? I don't want anything that's you know going to be like those 2.6s, potentially thin, puncture, you know, potentially could puncture tear quite easily, vague, any of those things that we all know that those really bulbous tires can feel like mm. he wants something that's a bit um potentially harder wearing because he's going to do a lot of miles on it but equally he wants it you know he wants a bit of grip under braking and stuff like that but he doesn't want it to roll 
really slowly. And so I pointed him in the direction of the two tyres already mentioned. You know, those feel like a good compromise as it is. So you kind of, you know, you get a bit of that sure-footed grip you'd expect from an enduro tyre when it comes to riding on wet rocks and roots. And equally, um, you're not having to um, spin, you know, uh, a 1.2, 1.3 kilo enduro tyre at either end. So, yeah, I would say to a degree, if you look in the right places, the right brands, they kind of exist. And most brands seem to be increasing their offerings. Um, you know, if you look at what was available last year versus this year, there's there's more from the likes of Vittoria, um, Terravale, mm. one of the smaller brands, Hutchinson. You know, those brands are starting to pump out some more, I guess, in between sits in between cross country and trail so they're sort of there if you if you know where you're looking yeah i guess it's just having like that catalog of knowledge of what all of the million and one different compound names and casing types and and really yeah. being quite specific with with the tires that you want yeah it's really it's really hard to know and, and that was the thing my friend was sort of saying you know he felt like he was getting to grips with maxis and then he looked at schwalbe and it was like you know trying to decipher a different language yeah. And he's completely right. You know, it's um, it's a it's a massive, massive thing to try and comprehend. It's a total minefield. Yeah. But um, probably go to Bike Radar. I'd say. Yeah. There's, there's oh, all yeah. sorts of information on that. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Was it Bake Radar? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, oh no, that's the that's the baking one. Oh yeah, that's right. That's just the cake specialist. Yeah. <laughs> but we we're actually doing. We will have um, a dedicated. Well, I think I've called it fast trail slash downcountry test coming up. Yeah in the not too distant future. So keep an eye out. There will be plenty of reviews on there, which should uh, tick some of these boxes. Yeah, maybe uh, yeah, wet your, wet your whistle for your, your super grippy, fast rolling matrix. Mega light. Yeah, uh, yeah. puncture resistant, um, all the other things. Uh, perfect tire. It, it, it is, it's the perfect tire, isn't it? Um, I'm just gonna like kind of diverge a little bit here, but on, on the road side of things, Warren, um, there's an example that's jumping out at me, and it's the the thick slick tires, which are the like super chunky, no kind of tread pattern on them at all, and they rely entirely on their chemical traction, right? Um, and it's kind of funny that yeah, tire compound on the road is is maybe a little bit different compared to the mountain biking side, in that people are using sticky compound tires. I don't know. It's kind of a question more than anything. Yeah, I think you know. Um we are we do definitely see you know much soft i guess much sort of softer durometers than you would ever would before now that road tires have got bigger and and you know and they are relying as you say on on more on the chemical grip than any any sort of tread pattern in. um uh, and it's it you know it's really just a it's a, such a good thing i mean when you're getting some of the the best new tires i'd probably say like you know the conti the, the cheapest 5000 um, Vittoria with their uh, graphene infused compound. Um, the cornering grip that, you, that they afford is just—it's it, off the charts. It's, it's just insanely good, you know. Um, and I, I, I've been doing this for long enough that I can remember, you know, most road tires were literally lethal in, in corners, and now you get so much confidence, so much speed. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's phenomenal what they're doing. But the downside is that tyres have got much, much more expensive and they don't last as long as they used to. 
Yeah. Does it really affect the rolling speed? Do you, re- do you Can you notice it or not really? No, not at all. Not at all, really. Because you think the, 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 the centre of the tyre tends to be much harder compound. You know, so when you're going in a straight line, the rolling resistance is really low. I mean, the, the one that you really get the feel for that from is, is the Vittoria. It's the, the, the Corsair with the G-plus compound. Because that's a tyre that when you kind of put it into a corner, it almost feels like it stretches. You know, it it wow. feels like, 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 you know, it feels like chewing gum stretching across the road and the grips is phenomenal. But then when you go in, you know, you straighten back up and, and you know, start pedaling, they just see it, they, they're absolutely fine. You know, they, so they're they just, doing just like we do on the mountain bike side. This you've got different compounds on the shoulders versus the, the centre yeah. tread. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Mm, grippy. Grippy. Gripping. Gripping. Gripping stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tire compounds. <laughs> Every tech editor's favourite subject, maybe. Um, <laughs> next. Next. Right. Staying on the theme of road riding. Uh, this is user Ben Karatu. Uh, and he wonders why he can't find feature-laden cycling clothing for bigger people so that it doesn't look like he's basically been sprayed. His clothes have been sprayed on with a paint gun. Um, and, you know, I think he's after some recommendations for kit and, and you know, wants to know what's kind of going on with that because it's a legitimate question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I guess, again, I'll take this one because neither of you two are exactly what you'd call Glidesdale, so, so Ben, I would say, you know, I feel your pain. You know, I myself, I'm a, a meter 89 tall and 90 kilos, or for our US listeners, that's six foot two and 198 pounds. So, you know, usually Italian made cycling kit doesn't exactly cater for me either. And, you know, whilst there are brands like um, FLAB, Fat Lad at the back, who do a brilliant job and make great kit, I'm not sure every big rider wants to be you know, identified uh, with that sort of self-deprecating tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I've had loads more success with brands that are made in countries populated by people that are more my size. So, you know, that kind of North European um, and uh, American brands. So I'd say look at Gore, Perlazumi. Um, I've always found they've absolutely really great fit. But, um, and then more recently, I've had some great fitting kit from um, MAP out of Australia UK sort of homegrown brands like Stolen Goat, um, uh, Altura, Endura, and DH3, they all do a great job, but you have to look past their race fit kit. Um, you know, if you start looking at the, the stuff they're doing aimed more at your sportive rider or even gravel riders now, um, they just cut much more generously um, uh, and, and do, you know, cater for if you're not a, you know, uh, 50 kilo. Um, Southern European, as it were. I'd say, you know, oh, how have I enjoyed their kit recently? Isidore, um, again, is another European brand. They cut their kit really, really well and not sort of super skinny either. And I'd even say someone like Rafa, you know, if you avoid Rafa's pro range stuff, um, everything they make is is cut that little bit more generously, um, which probably reflects their, uh, their, you know, the people that buy their kit. Um, yeah. But that said, I am a big fan of, of a lot of the Italian brands. I'm thinking like Castelli and Sportful. I'd just say, don't be afraid of going for the double XL or even the triple XL. You know, the yeah. sizing on an Italian kit can be so off in, in so many cases. I mean, I'm, you know, recalling the office <laughs> a few years back, um, one of the top Italian brands sent us their most aerodynamic jersey, complete, you know, with its golf ball pattern into the fabric. And they sent it in the triple XL. And the only person it fitted in the office. Um, was um, 
uh, one of our uh, uh, guys who's like 55 kilos and like a top time trialist. So I got him to wear it in a in a time trial, and he said, "Oh, it's great." Apart from it split from the armpit to the waist because it, it was, the fit was so tight, uh, you know. And or was it because he was so, going so fast? It just ripped a hole in oh, space. Yeah, maybe, and time. maybe, yeah, just yeah, exactly. Just yeah, he tore. You know, he was tearing through the air so fast it you know it, it disintegrated. So I'd say you know don't be self conscious about ordering a size much much bigger than you choose in any other clothing. But of course, wherever you can, you know, try before you buy. Yeah, because it is it is bonkers. Like, I mean, in Castelli, I'm an extra large, and I think I'm I'm the most average average person size wise you could possibly get. And you know, I'm wearing an extra large. That's that's unusual. You know, that's unusual. It's a big leap from mountain bike clothing, isn't it? You know, where it feels like pretty much whatever you wear as your casual clothes just translates to the size the same size in yeah. mountain bike. Yeah. Whereas on the road, it's like go up at least one, maybe two sizes from your casual clothes to get roughly what you might fit on. You know, some other stuff. I'm a small in everything on the mountain bike side. On the road side, I've you know I've got some medium shorts which are like okay, I can just about get these on, barely move. But yeah, you know, I completely yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, and definitely you know for for Ben and our other <laughs> other listeners out there who are bigger. Do, like Warren said, just just try the kit on. See if you can go to a shop, to a place that you know you actually have have these have these kits to try on, and, and give them a go. And you know, ignore what the size says. Just f- choose what's right for you. And um, you know, yeah, definitely. Um, mm. And then there, there is loads of really good kit out there. You know, there is loads. You don't don't feel like you have to be stuck with you know a select few brands. There's there's loads out there. Um, but it, it probably will just be a case, as ever with any clothing, is trying before you buy is probably the best, the best bit of advice that we can give. Um, okay, so now we've got we've got Steve who has slid directly into our DMs. Um, thanks for that, Steve. Really appreciate it. Uh, and he wants to know whether he can fit a dual crown fork to his enduro bike. Now, I will say this is something that I have been seeing, um, you know, with, with riders only having one bike and um, to increase the versatility of it, they're going to, you know, looking to, to increase the potential of the fork at the front so they can ride gnarlier terrain. But it might not always be a good idea. Isn't that right, Rob? Yeah, absolutely, Al. Yeah, so <clears throat> with, with a dual crown fork, there, there comes, uh, I guess... A few downsides in the, the first and foremost is that if a brand doesn't recommend it, because uh, with a jaw crown fork, you've got upper tubes which extend up to the top of your head tube and have a second crown, hence the term jaw crown. Um, there's more leverage on the frame, so it will potentially void your warranty if a brand doesn't recommend it or hasn't tested to that extent. So it could be that you know you damage your frame but equally it might be that you damage your frame and you're not able to get any kind of replacement because that brand does not recommend using it. So it's a big no-no if that's the case. So the first thing I'd recommend is getting in touch with either the shop you bought the bike from or the brand directly and asking their advice. Um, I would say in a lot of instances, they'll probably say no, um, just for those reasons. Secondly, most jaw cram forks are going to be in the region of between what 200 around about 200 mil in terms of travel so with that means a change in geometry 
So you're going to slacken the front end of the bike out, so a slacker head angle, which, you know, adds stability, could be really positive if you're just riding steep downhill stuff. Um, but you're also going to raise your bottom bracket, which um, means that potentially the handling might be a little less stable through the turns, might not feel quite as confident, might not be um, as easy to distribute your weight as you're going through a corner. So um, definitely some downsides there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, there's. I would say the thing is, with the advent of, um, it's not really the advent, obviously we used to have the 40mm totems back in the day, but we, we're sort of seeing this resurgence of those bigger tubed, um, bigger diameter forks, the likes of the Zeb from RockShox or the 38 from Fox. I mean, those things are so stiff, you know. They, they bring so many of the benefits that you might have got from um, a dual crown fork just a few years ago, but without any of those downsides that we mentioned, especially if your bike is sort of designed around maybe a 160 or a 170 fork, it's arguably better to try that first if you have the opportunity to, rather than going um, all out and uh, dumping all your cash on a fork that's going to screw up your geometry and potentially void your warranty at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's possible, but there's a few things you need to check first before you try it and be mindful of the fact that you could be, you know, tampering with how your bike handles. Yeah. And if you like it how it is, maybe try and stick to something that's going to keep the geometry as close to what you have now. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, other, the other number to really keep an eye on is the recommended axle to crown length. Um, because if you go up to a, a burlier fork, so say you've gone from a 36 to a 38 or um, a Lyric to a Zeb, the axle to crown length for the same amount of travel in those two forks is, is going to be slightly longer. The, the Zeb and the 38 are slightly longer than the respective 36 and Lyric. So uh, just make sure that's within your manufacturer's spec as well. Um, because sometimes yeah, it's the not always much, design. is it, I don't think? No, it's, it's, I, I it's think basically 10 ish about... I think yeah, I think it's the a variance of about ten mil max. I think I think the lyric and the Zeb for the same travel is about five mil. Okay. Potentially, yeah. maybe a bit more on the thirty six and the thirty eight. But um, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, there, there will be an allowance, a sort of an operating window with which you can work to before things get totally thrown out. So it's again, it's worth it's worth checking on all of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, Steve, good to know that you want to go out and shred. I like I like the sound of that. <laughs> keep keep hacking away at it. We'll show you get there, buddy. Good go work. Go, Steve. Go, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Um, next question, and uh, this is quite an interesting one, actually, because uh, our dear own JCW, who's Bike Radar, Bike Radar MBUK's editor, apologies to all respective editors there, um, actually did something pretty similar to this. So we've got Neil Effant, or Effant, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Apologies, Neil. Um, he's converted his old 27.5-inch wheeled hardtail into a commuter bike. Now, that sounds like a really good, interesting idea. He says, although he's only been riding it mostly on roads, um, there are off-road elements and bits to the, to the way that he rides with, like rooty little slippery tracks. And what he wants to do is, is, he, is he wants to put some tyres on there that are going to be tough puncture resistance and have some tread to provide grip when things get slippy. Now, it's kind of an interesting question, this, because it sort of bridges the MTB road commuter gravel 
divide. Uh, and I'm sure we've all got our ideas about what kind of tyres that Neil could be running. And what do you reckon, Warren? Um, well, I mean, I'd run a, a, a 650B wheel bike on, on my 30 mile each way commute to the office on, on normal times. I mean, it's an e-bike, but, um, uh, and my route normally takes in a bit of right away towpath and a whole load of tarmac. So I've always just looked for a really hard wearing and puncher resistant tire, to be honest. Um, and I found the best success, um, probably with a set of Schwalbe big bends in a two inch width. I mean, I've run those for probably over 2000 miles now. Um, and I haven't had a single puncher. You know they're they're properly tough, um, but you know they haven't have a sort of light kind of textured grip. But I also I'm a fan. Of, you know if you want something a bit faster from when you're on the road, Schwabe's Marathon in a one and a half inch width, um, and you can get that with their new uh, super tough green guard compound. So again they you know they roll they roll quick, really punchy um, resistant, and they've got a bit of a sight tread, so they so have a little bit of bite in the dirt. For something a bit more gravel and off-roady, I'd probably say, um, you know, for a few years now, I've run um, Surly's Nard in a 1.5 on my Cannondale slate. Um, they've, they've proved really, really tough. And I'd say, aside from that, if you've got the clearance, it's worth looking at um, WTB's offerings. I'm thinking stuff like the Byway, because they do loads and loads of 650 options in that and lots of different widths. So you can get a you know, really nice big tyre on, on, um, on that for... Uh, extra comfort when you're riding to work. Now, I guess it's always going to be balancing the how much slick do you want for your lack of rolling resistance versus how much tread do you want for your, your rooty, slippy sections and finding out where that where that equilibrium is there for, for yeah. your personal yeah. needs, I suppose. I'd say, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the byway does have a sort of slightly kind of um, blocked, blocked kind of shoulders on it, whereas the centre the center pattern's pretty slick. Um, and... Um, you know, they do offer, um, which is very rare for, for when you're talking gravel or road, um, they do offer front and rear specific tyres, which I know is something that mountain bikers take as a second nature. It's all very new to the road market. Um, and I would say Surly's Nard as well. It, you know, that's got really quite pronounced um, block patterning on the shoulders, but the, the central spine of it is actually um, textured, but, but fairly slick. So they roll really fast on the road. Whereas the, the marathon kind of goes the other way, doesn't it? The, the, the marathon, of which is probably one of the most well-known commuting tyres out there as being, you know, incredibly reliable and puncture-resistant. Uh, resistant, yeah. sorry. Um, but it's probably not going to offer a huge amount of traction on muddy tracks, is it? No, not really. Not really. But it's, again, it's that thing. It's, sort of, it's almost, like, you know, it's a trade-off there between the two. Um, and I'd say, you know, there's something like the Big Ben that I've been using for, for a long time um, has got a... It hasn't really got tread, but it's got a nice texture on it. And I find that because you're running those in such a big width, they tend to sort of, you know, they, they tend to bite on on in muddy conditions fairly well, provided you're not riding single track or, you know, if, you, if it's just, you know, bridleways and byways, you're absolutely fine on those. Yeah. Maybe Neil will be asking next whether he can fit a dual crown fork to his, uh, his commuter bike <laughs> yeah. and him, him and Steve can hook up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I think was touching it really well though with that um, potentially switching to something sort of front and rear specific. It, when it comes to compromise, I think um, being able to reduce roll and resistance on the rear and having something that's potentially a little bit more um, 
steadfast on the front when you kind of when you're going to go into something a little looser and you know where you need that traction you know generally where the front wheel goes the back wheel's going to go close you know there or thereabouts so if it's kind of you know slipping and sliding around as long as you you know you've got some decent sure-footed grip up front hopefully the back wheel will just follow and you stay upright but it means you do get that 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 more balanced ride where you don't feel like you're you know sweating bullets when you're just trying to ride along the road sections but equally you know when you're off-road you're not um rolling the dice every time you go into a turn that's a, definitely a good approximation to use in life in general i think isn't it your back wheel <laughs> sort of goes where the front one does ish <laughs> yeah yeah maybe for us huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i like it um yeah, so I guess the other, the other way that Neil could go um, is is look at um, cross-country race tyres. Um, you know, he's got a, a 650B mountain bike, so I presume there's reasonable tyre clearance there. Um, something like Schwalbe's Rocket Ron was kind of jumping out at me as like a super fast tyre with, you know, a reasonable amount of aggressive tread. Um, kind of similar to Warren's suggestions, actually, but from mm. a mountain bike background first. Um you know, it could be an interesting way of approaching it as you get the fast rolling on your tarmac, but your grip for your, your shredding, your rooty, rooty tracks on your commutes. Um, yeah, definitely worth a, worth a look. And you might be able to find some bargains as well for 27.5 inch um, tires of, of that nature, because most people will probably have them on 29 inch bikes now. So, you know, there might be some good discounts to be had out there. Um, um, and I think next up we've got a question from uh, from Alice who also slid directly into our DMs. So very very grateful for that one. Thank you, Alice. Um, she wants to know what she should be taking with her on longish mountain bike rides. Um, and I guess we can also extend that question to gravel and road riding because some of the things will be similar. Um, uh, a few of them may be a bit different. Um, you know, I guess she probably doesn't want to take the kitchen sink, but you know, it's definitely sensible to have have a few provisions, <laughs> few provisions with you. Um, what, what do you reckon is a bare, bare basic thing that you want to have? Things that you would like to have with you, Rog? So, um, the for a, a good starting point is obviously um, looking after yourself. So, um, something to drink, some water, uh, and something to eat as well. Some snacks, some energy bars, whatever it is you might want to take. Um, I think we've all learned the hard way that um, carrying a banana in your pack doesn't always end well, tends to get squished. You maybe forget about it for a while and then, you know, you go into reach uh, a multi-tool that's wrapped around in the bottom and you hand, yeah, you end up with a, a gooey hand covered in um, old banana. Banana so, banana flavoured multi-tool. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, no one wants that. No. But yeah, something to eat and drink, I would say, is a good starting point. And then obviously you need to think about potential problems that are going to arise you're not going to be you know there's no need like you said kitchen sinks type stuff you don't need a headset press if that if something that bad goes wrong and your headset cups fall out then <laughs> <laughs> then chances are you're going to need you know you're going to need a hand to get out of there yeah, probably. you probably won't be riding out yeah. um but you know the very basics like a multi-tool a working pump some tire levers, maybe a CO2 inflator um, if you've got tubeless, maybe some um, tubeless repair strips, you know, those little squidgy strips mm. of bacon to wedge into your tire. Um, I like to wrap some duct tape around my tire levers. Oof. So then you got it in case you need to, um, 
patch and patch a tubeless tire inside is always handy. In case you need to stop uh, any hostages from talking. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <Regular>. Yeah. <laughs> if, if in case someone's about to share a secret trail on Strava, <laughs> yeah, gag them or take their phone up. <laughs> phone is another good one. Just remember that. Um, it depends. You know, if you're going on a really long ride, stuff like um, cable ties are really handy. Yeah. Um, a knife of some kind, just in case, or, or maybe some pliers. Um, you know, they're so versatile. You can you can use them for all sorts, whether that's, um, you know, chopping the tubeless plugs off, you know, so you haven't got too much sticking out your tire or whether it's, uh, I don't know, opening up your baguette yep. partway round to have your very sophisticated lunch on the side of a hill. Yeah. Um, definitely in addition to a multi-tool as well. So, you know, yes. it's not a multi-tool or a Leatherman style thing. We'd recommend yeah, it's, both. it's both if you yeah. can. Yeah. Um, a chain tool, assuming you don't have that attached to your uh, multi-tool. Uh, is always good and also being aware of how to use it because I think um, some people are guilty of buying all that stuff and then never being familiar with it you know um, and some of these things when they're cleverly packaged in a multi-tool are sometimes quite hard to actually figure out how you actually use them whether that you know you have to separate it out and use the multi-tool to drive the t- the, the the pin that pushes the um, the pin out in the chain or whether it's fully integrated and it never comes apart one of, you know, stuff like that. It's good to be familiar with the bits you're using when you go out and if something happens um, out there. Um, a quick link, um, just because it makes life so much easier when stuff does go wrong. If you're broken your chain, you can just whack it back together with that once you've um, discarded any bits that are bent, etc. And when I say discarded, I mean put back in your pack. We yes. found a, a chain just on the side of the trail the other day, didn't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. When we were out shooting. Yeah, amongst I've other things. That. Yeah, that was a that's special a present. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's a keeper. Um, um, and I guess, yeah, you can take uh, a spare gear cable as well because they hardly take up any room. They're really light and easy to carry and they can properly get you out of a bind if you need it. Um, we've even used one before where uh, I managed to... I. It was an old bike with uh, open dropouts at the back and I hit a quick release on the log. The back wheel came out mid-corner. It was in a big, steep, rutted track. The back wheel dropped out enough for the cassette and the free hub to fall off in one. Nice. Then we used used the, the uh, gear cable to wrap around the pool to hold the pools in place where we slotted it in and then removed the gear cable. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's techers. Yeah, yeah. Lucky there was someone that had a clue what to do. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also remember to take some uh, some grass cuttings from your last time you mowed the lawn to stuff in your back tire when you get a puncture, because that is a hundred percent MBUK uh, recommended method. Have you ever done it? <laughs> I've never done it. No, I don't think it works. Does it work? It does. It, it does. It does. We've work. done it. Yeah, we've done it. We did it. We had to do it because we'd written about it enough times. Um, I'd done it once before for someone where we used like all sorts of stuff like leaves and all this stuff we wedged in. And there was, I think someone in their excitement had grabbed like a handful of soil as well, (laughs) chucked it in. So rather than it just being this uniform sort of soft um, grass filling it up, (laughs) this is one big hard patch. And it was like watching someone on a clam bike (laughs) bopping their way down the road. But we got them home. 
So that's the main thing. Make sure, make sure you stuff some grass in your in your jersey pocket then, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So wheel wheel along your uh, your uh, compost bin yeah, behind yeah, you. Yeah, behind you. Yeah, with your shopping yeah. trolley and your your dog, your dog <laughs> yeah. cage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah. I would say actually, as a, a few little tips and tricks there, um, you can replace bananas with carrots. Uh, because carrots, you can eat half a carrot and put it back. It's got its own skin. It won't turn to mush, and it doesn't really go off. So if you're dead set on the form factor of longer and thinner snacks, then carrots are a great, great replacement for bananas. Um, and then you don't need lights either. Exactly, because everyone can yeah. see you when it's dark. Is that is that the right way around? I think you glow orange, That's the and, one. You, can yeah. s- and orange, you can see yeah. in the dark. Yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah, it works in all ways. Um, and then the other one is um, if you if you're taking zip ties with you, do, do a little loop of them, and if you've got a, a hollow bottom bracket axle, stick them down your stick them down your pedal crank so that you can fish them back out, and then you've got your zip ties stored on your bike permanently. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a clever little one that um, nifty nifty little place. And if you're going on a really really long ride, some emergency lights, just the little ones, yeah. don't necessarily need to be big, uh, you know, and bright enough. That you can see the trail ahead, but um, just in case you've got any do any linking sections of road on the way home mm. or back to the car or wherever it might be, um, again, nice and light, easy to carry. Or alternatively, oh. you could have enough carrots to give to every <laughs> potential driver or other person in the world, and then they'll be able to see you. Just saying. Oh, oh there's that. <laughs> no, <laughs> j- j- jokes aside, definitely don't get run over, have lights to be seen. Um, yes. Not necessarily to see, but to be seen um, is definitely very sensible. What about on the roadside, Was any anything? I mean, we've covered it's, quite. To be honest, pretty pretty much the same. Uh, you know, the only other thing I'd say is uh, um, an emergency jacket. You know, just in case Good the weather point. turns. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, just some just something you can stuff in a pocket, and um, if you've got space, I, I I'll normally chuck in like a just a couple of plastics or something. That inevitably, when you skin a knuckle trying to fix something, yeah, you know, so yeah. Uh, there are some really good little compact. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, I can't remember who does them, but there's mountain bike specific first aid kits now you can get. So they don't even have, they have like a it's quite minimal packaging, so they're really quite small. Um, and and you can just chuck them at the bottom of your pack, and they're you know, they're packaged well enough that they're robust. and they can just stay there and hopefully you'll never need it, but it is there in case you do. And some of them have, you know, dry bags, which are really useful that you can use for, you know, if you get caught in a storm, like was says, you've got your coat, but you haven't got anywhere to put your phone, for example, you can check your phone in the dry bag and it stays nice and safe. Yeah. Um, oh, I would also recommend uh, some um, gloves. Not, not like riding gloves, like nitrile, bootle-style gloves mm. um, for when you're inevitably fixing a snap chain or something like that. You can put those on and then your hands don't get covered in oil and grease um, a number of times that's happened to me. Or if you're mountain biking and you're fixing a puncture and your tyre's absolutely disgusting, the last thing mm. you want to do is write off your gloves in your hands. So just a pair of workshop gloves would be a really sensible thing to have. Um, or Good carrots, just loads of carrots. Back to the carrots. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> just drive that one home drive that one home Do you, are you working for Bugs Bunny now? <laughs> yeah yeah, me and Bugs that's it collab <laughs> me, Bugs and Alice we've uh, we, we've just slipped into slipped into carrot carrot corpse DMs or something it seems so doesn't it? Um, 
Great. Well, that was good. Um, <laughs> didn't even go off topic too much. Um, thank you both very much for that. It was uh, it was really interesting, especially uh, I'm going to do a special shout out to Warren's uh, cassette cassette knowledge. Yeah, I um, love that. Yeah, that was a, that was a heavy hitter to start with. Um, <laughs> Kind of, kind of should have said that to the end if we think about it, really. Well, maybe <laughs> we sort of we peaked too early, I think, and then yeah. <laughs> and then it came to me, and then it just all sort of slowly dribbled downhill to to just chat about carrots. Yeah, great, carrots, <laughs> yeah. great tech Q and A. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sponsored by nutritional Tesco's. monthly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, not Tesco's Waitrose. Um, anyway, thank you so much, both of you. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, Thank you, guys. And thank you to all of our dear listeners. Um, we hope this has helped answer at least some of your technical questions. Um, if you do have any queries, please send them to us via our social media channels or comment on our next Q&A podcast post, uh, which will be on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Um, and finally, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you did, maybe perhaps enjoy listening to it today. Give us a rating because that helps the podcast providers know that we are doing a good job. Thank you both. Cheers out. Thanks, Ed. And bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.